welcome to another episode of Invisible Disco Productions podcast, Writer's Block Party. We are hoping to share the work of emerging artists and break down the all-too-often mysticized process of creating and developing art. I am Lauren Montez. And I'm Amelia Annan. Today we have a wonderful guest with us, Piper Dodds-Lewis. She is an actor and writer currently studying literature and theater at Sarah Lawrence College with a specific focus on African-American literature. Her favorite role she's played at SLC is Mr. Bingley in a production of Pride and Prejudice. Piper has had the opportunity to study with both the British American Drama Academy and the National Theater Institute. Her favorite part of theater is the ability to blur the lines between horror and comedy. As a writer, Piper is particularly interested in writing gothic pieces with a focus on black characters. After graduating in May 2021, Piper will hopefully start working as an actress. Hello, Piper. Hello! Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Gosh, I'm happy to be here. Good. We're all happy to be here. I think we're all happy to be here. I think we're all happy to be here. What's up, Piper? How's your day? My day is good. I had class this morning. I had my Shakespeare oh. lecture. You have a class on we Friday? I have class on oh. Friday. Disgusting. Um, you have brought to us a piece called... That was a really nice segue. Did you like it? Anyway. Yeah. It was <laughs> stunning. Um, you have brought to us a piece called Memento Mori. It's part of a full play, and it's a the fifth scene. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to read it, and do you want to give any context to set up this that we need to know, or can we just launch it in? Yeah, I'll give a, a little context. So the main character, uh, Moira who is nicknamed Maury, um, is in her early 20s. She is half black, half white. Her mom, who is black, um, died when she was a baby. Uh, She was raised by her white dad. Uh, She has just found out that she's pregnant. And um, she has also started feeling when other people get hurt. And she's trying to figure out why. Cool. Um, This recording is featuring Piper as Maury. Amelia reading stage directions and the truly talented Dante Critchlow reading for the part of Noah. So thank you, Dante. And let's hear it. Scene five. Lights up on Maury's bedroom. Noah enters as Maury is pacing around her room. Hey, are, are you? Will you do something for me? What? Yeah, sure. But, but can we talk about what happened first? That was insane. Your dad was way out of line. Noah, it's fine. It's fine. What are you talking about? He's wrong, Noah. Yeah, clearly, Moore. No, 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 you don't get it. He's wrong. She wasn't crazy. I know she wasn't crazy. Moira starts getting ready for bed and Noah follows suit. I don't think your mom was crazy. It sounds like maybe she had postpartum depression. She didn't. Are you sure, Maury? Yes. Let me show you. Stub your toe. What? Come on, just do it. First of all, Nike? No. Second of all, why? I think she was telling the truth. I think what she was seeing and feeling was actually real. Remember what happened with Heather's hand? How did I start bleeding? And what about with my head? Maybe, maybe she saw her too, and the reason I'm feeling this way is connected to that. Saw who? The woman that was in the bathroom and by the car accident? More, we talked about this. There was no woman there. Yes, there was. But that's not the point. The point is I need you to stub your toe. No, Maury. I think I can feel people get hurt. That's impossible. Then how do you explain today? I don't know. I don't fucking know. Maybe there was a crack in the glass and it scratched you. Maybe you already had a cut on your hand. 
I think you found out something incredibly traumatic and you're hormonal and trying to find a way to process it. Or maybe I'm telling the truth. Can we go to bed? Please. Fuck this. Maury opens a book or checks her phone in bed. Noah, now barefoot and in his pajamas, goes to exit and brush his teeth. He accidentally stubs his toe on the way out. Fuck. Ow, why would you do that? Do that? I didn't do anything. It was an accident. Fuck, that hurt. Well, do you believe me? Can we just deal with this tomorrow? Deal with this? Sure, babe. How do you suggest we deal with this? He doesn't respond. He just exits. Maury lies in bed. Linny has entered, unseen, and is standing in the corner of the room. Noah doesn't see her when he re-enters. He gets in bed. They mumble goodnight to each other. Blackout. Cool. So it's from a play. Is this like a full-length play? Like, what's the deal? Yeah. What's the deal with the play? (laughs) What's the deal with the play? So I started writing this play um, at the National Theater Institute last fall. Um, This podcast is sponsored by the National Theater Institute. Go there to learn. At the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center in Waterford, Connecticut. Um, Yeah, so I started writing it for a class... Um, and I did, I mean, it was very hard to get stuff done at NTI cause we were really busy. And so I started writing the first scene and like wrote it in like maybe 25 minutes and then turned it in cause I didn't have time to do anything else. Um, but basically I was interested in what, what would happen if death was a person And what would that look like? And it kind of, I originally wanted death to be a little girl, but then I was, I just didn't know what to do with that. So I came up with this idea of someone who can feel when people get hurt or when they die and what that means. And it also then kind of turned into a haunting piece. Have you read um, or seen sort of The Shining, but mostly Dr. Sleep? Yes. It had Dr. Sleep elements to me. Like, in a not as creepy way, but for sure. Yeah. So, I... Yeah, I really like Dr. Sleep. I just saw it. Um, yeah, it so... It was a pretty good adaptation of the book, I will say. I haven't anyway. read the book. Um, the book's good. Yeah, but I... I wanted to... I then realized, because, like, apparently... I wasn't... This wasn't a very surprising new idea for me, because I write a lot about um, ancestral trauma and also about like the intersection of the the ancestral trauma that comes from being half black half white because we are my black side of the family it's pretty incredible but we've been able to track our lineage back 13 generations which is not something that a lot of black people can do um and so we like know what plantations our family our ancestors were on and then on my mom's side of the family I could be a member of the Daughters of the American Revolution which is like a crazy crazy conservative um group of descendants of that is a crazy combination it's wild so I've yeah so it's very that I don't know that's something I'm fascinated by is like the the intersection of how, how do you grapple with having ancestors on both sides of that that issue the issue being slavery have you seen the movie fast colors no 
I think you should watch it because it reminds me a lot. Not necessarily in a uh, 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 topic, but in um, con in like tone. It reminds oh, me okay. a lot of this, cool. and I think it's on Amazon Prime. Um, is Mori slash Moira then sort of like based on you? Like when you're writing characters, do you write a you character or are they all sort of you and just different variations? Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yes and no. I think the character is based on me and kind of like, not like, I feel like the kind of person I might have been if I, like, went ham on some of the things I did in high school. Like, if I was, like, super, super into NCL, which I did, which was the National Charity League, because um, the part of the story does center around a debutante ball, and it all takes place in Pasadena. So, yeah, it is... That's where you're from. That's where Pasadena. I'm from. You want to give a little quick, like crash course on the history of Pasadena Pasadena California um oof uh it is conservative um lot very white um it's where the rose parade happens um it's a place of tradition it's a place of tradition we're big into tradition in Pasadena um and a lot of old money a lot of old money um and so being a mixed person in Pasadena is, it's weird. Like, I definitely feel out of place. Um, but it's hard, too, because, like, while I am black, I'm also white. So that's another weird thing, too, because it's like, well, I am half of what, you know, the general population looks like. But then at the same time, there's another part of me that completely negates that. It feels like, so that's tough. So Pasadena is where the whole thing's set. Um, I originally had this set on the plantation that my ancestors were on, which is still, it's in Boone County, Kentucky. It is still there. Um, uh, But I just, I don't know if I'll ever change it back, but I don't know enough about the plantation to have set it there. Um, Yeah, so in short, Long story short, the character is based on me. Um, but, like, if if she was more... Ex- if I were more excited about the traditional aspects of Pasadena, which I was as a kid, but I'm not so much anymore. Yeah. Well, and especially uh, in this day and age. It's yeah. It's a different kind of tradition. Yeah, and also, like, moving out like just even graduating from high school and like moving into college and getting space from the place where I grew up I was like oh right like not all the traditions that we had are the be-all end-all yeah do you have the whole play written and we just read part of it or how much how much do you have left to write how much are you hoping to get in its full form what will it look like in its full form in its full form I think I have about 65 pages right now Almost. Um, Damn. I want right, to add <laughs> more. Um, basically, is it going to be a one act or like a full two act full? Act I play? think a full two act play. And so, what is happening now, and kind of what what you all missed before this scene is Moira and her boyfriend were at an event for her debutante ball. 
um, that is coming up and a girl across the room, Moira is standing holding a champagne glass. She doesn't know she's pregnant yet. Um, is standing on one end of the room, a girl on the other end of the room, her glass shatters and it cuts her hand and Moira starts bleeding. And she's like, that's weird. Um, that's suspicious. And so then she goes into the bathroom to clean herself up and she sees this woman, this light skinned black woman, just like standing there behind her. And she's like, who are you? And she turns around, there's no one there. Um, and she starts being followed by this woman, but only she can see her. No one else can see her. She and um, her boyfriend later that day are in her, in their bedroom and a car, someone gets into a car accident out on the street outside their house. And um, Moira feels like she's just hit her head like on a dashboard and she's like, what the, what the hell? And then she goes to look out the window to see what happened and she sees the woman standing there and she's like, I don't under, I don't understand. Um, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't get it. So she is talking to her, she talks to her dad about it and he's like, what's, what's happening? And he then kind of loses it on her when she find when he finds out that she's pregnant. And he basically in, in his anger at her not wanting to get an abortion says that, um, she's going to end up just like her mom who killed herself after having Moira. And so Moira is starting to piece together that perhaps whatever's happening to her happened to her mom. Um, and so in, in her search, she will go on to find that this woman that is following her is a woman named Lenny, who is um, one of her ancestors who was in love, who was raised as a white woman, but she's mixed, um, and fell in love with a black man and her dad killed her lover and um she saw it happen and she was so pained by it that it killed her too um and so this whole cycle of when a woman falls in love when a woman in this family falls in love she starts to feel other people get hurt um and so Moira is going to start to as she's understanding the truth of her family it seems like she's going crazy to everyone else um and uh, the last scene I've gotten to is her actually losing the pregnancy. Then her entire, her family's like, what the fuck is happening to you? And they're also like, at this point, they're like, what, was she even pregnant? Like, what, is she okay? And so it's about her trying to stay true to the experiences that she's having while those around her are telling her that it's not. So in its full form, it will reconcile that. But as of right now, I don't know how it's going to be reconciled. That's a few, that's a future Piper problem. Yeah, that's for that's for the Piper of tomorrow. Do you often write... So this is obviously the play. Do you always write plays? Or is this, like... what What's your sort of bread and butter of writing? Yeah, plays are definitely my, my bread and butter of writing. Um, yeah, I haven't really written anything else. I would write, like, short stories and poems and stuff in high school and then I took a bunch of playwriting classes in college and just it's a it's also like the format I think that I understand the best which is why I do it the most but I also I don't know I'm also not married to the idea of this being a stage play necessarily I was gonna say I feel like it could definitely be a movie it has very cinematic qualities to it perhaps a a limited series Netflix when you get an idea 
for a yeah Netflix. We know you're listening. Get on this. Get on Get this. Get on it. Yeah. I just like We know you're listening. Um, <laughs> oh. Anyway, um, when you get an idea for a story, like what's your sort of process of being like, here's an idea. I'm going to write it. I think it should be this form. This is how I'm going to write. Like take us. What's the yeah. birth of the play? Oof. It's a, it's kind of a hot mess. It's like I'll get, um, I get, I think there's a word for this thing, um, but I'll get obsessed with word like a set of words every once in a while. Like I, this is ridiculous, but as a kid, I would compulsively say certain words. Um, them being, I would compulsively say the word chicken as a child <laughs> or Copenhagen. And my parents were like, what is wrong with her? Um, and so a lot of times I'll get stuck on phrases and those end up turning into ideas for plays. So for this one, I was thinking about uh, memento mori which is something that comes up in art history a lot where it's like if there's a skull it's a reminder that you're gonna die um so normally I like take that idea and then just think about it I don't really have an organized way of like writing a plan or an outline I'm trying to get better about that because I think it gets in the way of me doing projects well if that makes sense like because if I say like oh I just want to write this scene and I don't know where it's gonna go that's hard um so a lot of times it's like get obsessed with a phrase write a scene and then it's like make Pinterest boards about it for six weeks and then eventually start writing and then I'll just kind of write as much as I can um and kind of see where that ends up it's not a great system, I will say. <laughs> like, it's hey. not the most efficient. <laughs> if we've learned anything doing this podcast, it's that no one actually has a good system. Everyone has the system they want to have, and then there's the system they That have. they actually do. Yeah, is, exactly. Yeah. Like, the system I want to have is, like, light a candle, have a glass yeah. of red wine, and, like... Just write the whole thing. Outline it with a quill, like... <laughs> <laughs> you know, in my little cottage, but that's not what happens a lot of time. It's just like me writing. In Mostly because there's no cottage. There's no cottage. There's no red wine, and <laughs> that's there's no the quilt. only thing that's stopping you. <laughs> yeah, literally the only thing. So I will be getting a cottage. Yeah. ASAP. Realtors, I know you're listening. Yeah. You mentioned that there are certain uh, themes that come up in your work repeatedly or often. Um when you're do you when you're writing something new do you ever purposely try and like lean into those or not yeah I think a lot of times when I started writing this piece I was like oh this is awesome it has nothing to do with my life like when it was first this idea of like a woman who can feel other people's pain I was like sweet we are like breaking out of this pattern of writing about like your family and then it just be it literally became a piece about my family. So I just don't I don't know how to n- not do it. Um, but I think the cool thing is too, like this play is supernatural and it's fantastical. So it doesn't feel it doesn't necessarily feel like I'm writing down my life. Um, but it is also a cool way to process things that that are hard to process, like. I don't think that there's any one way to process 
slavery. And that's such a weird thing to try and process now because it's not happening. I mean, it's slavery has been abolished, everyone. For those of you listening, good news. Um, <laughs> this don't know if you heard. Slavery um, news, guys. was abolished. Um, so, like, how do you process something that happened 200 years ago? I don't know. But, like, the, writing about it at least helps. And I also worked on this play as a project for um, a literature class that I took last spring, um, which was a literary history of slavery. So I pulled from other texts about slavery written by black women. And I found that really helpful, too, because it wasn't it stopped being about my specific family's interactions with slavery and about it as a whole, which I think is really helpful to write about experiences other than your own. That's really interesting. I feel like I'm really bad at, like, think, like, I, like, never do research for things I write, and I feel like that's such, like, a cool, like... I feel like I should. I feel like I like, only I feel like I should, and I, I never do. I don't have to do research about. I, I, I think I, I have to do research, I'm like, I'm not the person to write this. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> I really like research, but I think it's also just another way for me to procrastinate. But that's too. okay, I mean... Because like I'm kind of like a squirrel and I'm like, well, if I collect enough <laughs> information and put it in my tree hole, then I, it'll um, just write itself. It'll write but itself. I, but I think it kind of does. I mean, I don't think it's a horrible idea. I feel like if you like think about like I, I definitely am in the same vein where I like think about it for a mm-hmm. long time. And then once I've decided, I write it down. Yeah. Just let it like mush around. And yeah. Let it marinate. Let it marinate in my brain. Yeah, and I also, I don't know if you guys struggle with this, but, like, I struggle with writing stuff about my family because I don't ever, because most of the time it's not like, this is my mom, this is my dad, this is my sister. Um, So if there's a mom character or a dad character that does something bad, I don't want my parents to read it and think that it reflects on them because most of the time it's not about yeah and also like in a dramatic play or really anything that is is like has to follow a plot like some characters have to do things that are bad right exactly and And like mom like it has nothing to do with you (laughs) right and in writing about a biracial Mm -hmm. relationship too especially one that um because the play also flashes back in time to when Linny was alive and her dad who was horribly racist kills her husband so like I don't want my parents to think that like I think of them in in the same terms that I'm thinking of these characters even though it like the story is based on my life in other ways yeah 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 I mean I think a thing can be like personal but it's not really based on your do you know what I mean like it's personal to you and it's based on like your I don't know how you experience the world but it's not like scene by scene actual things that happen to you in real life right exactly yeah and that's the other fun thing about about writing about my experiences is that I get to heighten them in these whack ways where like like the like she is coming from Maury is coming from old old money she is coming from slavery money um and the like the debutante ball is really really heightened and why is her name Lenny um, Linny is actually, so that's one of the other fun things about this play is every other character except for Moira is named after one of my ancestors on my dad's side. 
Oh, oh that's whoa. so cool. So. I thought it was Laura Linney. <laughs> no, it's not. Like, I want Laura Linney to play. She's not. This is a, actually um, a Laura Linney fan fiction. <laughs> um, I don't know how. The role actually, is written for her. I want Laura to play all of the characters. Um, <laughs> it's just Laura Linney playing every single character. Oh, I mean, really cool. if anyone could do it. Um, but, <laughs> anyways. Um, <laughs> So everyone's named after one of your yeah, ancestors. Everyone except for Moira is named after one of my ancestors. So my um my grandma on my dad's side sent me this whole document. It has to be like 90 pages and it just traces back like who's married to who, where this they family lived. Tree. Yeah, crazy family tree. So all of them are named after um my ancestors and Cave Johnson is actually the slave owner. So my ancestors were on the Cave Johnson plantation in kentucky what is cave johnson in your script again can you remind me he's the dad cj is her dad so he's i realized actually when i was sent when i sent this to you guys i said that he's cave johnson the third which doesn't that doesn't add up i mean i guess generationally it could work like if there weren't a lot of cave yeah i don't think it has to be cage johnson's every single time yeah, that would be a little bit aggressive. But Yeah, um, every single person. Yeah, so the Every dad, single male was named Cage. <laughs> all of them are named Cape Johnson. <laughs> every single person was named Cape Johnson. New, new plan, all the characters are named Cape Johnson. Um, figure it out. I think it'd get really confusing, but I like it. I like it too. Just to go on that tangent, obviously for this play, it's clear how the names came to be. Do you always spend that much sort of focus on the names? Yeah, I really like names. I think names are so cool. I um so I spend a lot of time on like baby naming websites <laughs> when I'm writing stuff. Like my I don't know <laughs> You're like not when I'm writing stuff, just for my own personal just, just for fun. So also like on Pinterest I'll like look up names. Um because I think that they're so cool. Like I, I just think that you can learn so much about a person by their names also so much about a person's family by what the parents choose to name their kids and like what lineage I guess they want to carry like with my parents my middle name is Dodds which is my maternal grandmother's maiden name and my little sister's maid or my little sister's middle name is Jones which is our paternal grandmother's maiden name so like we both have their names so yes I do spend a lot of time on names do you like what do you look for do you look for names like that symbolize something about the character? Do you just want ones that, like, sound right or, like... Yeah, mostly ones that just, like, sound right. There's also a... Oh, my gosh, I can't remember the what the website is called. There's this crazy website with names for everything. Like... What is it called? Fan, like, fantasynames.net or something. It's crazy. They have, like... Eight, like, they have just lists of different um, nationalities and different names from each, from different places, names from different time periods. Um, so I think that's cool. And I'll try to kind of, like, for different stories, focus names on different places. So, like, if I was going to do, like, 18th century, like, 18th century English names, I would try to do every character has one, even if that's not what the story's about. I see. That's interesting. But then other times I text a group chat 
with my friends like I did for the uh, All Work No Play, I texted Lauren and some of our other friends and I said, what are names like Topper but different? And then I picked the names that they sent. Nice. Nice. There you go. And that's art. <laughs> that's art. It's making that's other people ever. make the creative decisions. Do it decisions for you. Uh, Delegate. Uh, Who are your, taking a little bit of a... Turn. Yeah, that's hard. Uh, <laughs> I motioned turn. And then Amelia said turn. Okay. Um, taking a... Do the motion. Turn. Um, thank you. And who are your writing inspirations? And you mentioned that you want to be an actor in your bio. So where does, uh, where has writing come from in the past? And where does it sort of fall into your artistic practice? <laughs> artistic practice. Ooh, goodness. Um, okay, so my Just biggest... for the record, all of the NYU Tisch hopefuls, you will be asked that question Every By so many week, people. Twice what? a week for your what? entire freshman year. Okay. What, your artistic practice? What is yeah. your arti- artistic practice? Am I supposed to have an artistic practice? I because fuck if I Literally, know. literally. <laughs> artistic drama would say strongly. <laughs> yes. your, your artistic practice literally just like. What your do you do? Th- your things. Like you're like an actor, writer. Right. Whatever. Yeah. Like um, it's literally just like art, like port, like painter. Yeah, they just need to come up with fancy words for it to make yeah. themselves feel just, just good. Anyway, so inspiration. Um, so my biggest writing inspirations are um, Toni Morrison. I read Beloved for the first time for my literary history of slavery class, and I mean, was just absolutely floored by it. I had never like it is terrifying. It's a love story. It's historical fiction. It's, I mean, it's beautiful and horrifying. Um, I also love Shirley Jackson. I mean, Harry Potter was a big, was a big thing. You can see, well, you can't see on the podcast, sorry, but all my Harry Potter books are right up there. Um, yeah, so for writing, it's a lot of fantasy, I guess. Um, and then where does writing fit into my artistic practice? I don't, I, I, had spent a lot I hadn't really spent that much time thinking about writing and acting as being complimentary like I never thought of myself as writing something to perform in um I always thought like I'm either gonna act in something someone else has written or write something that someone else will act in but now interesting kind of realizing like oh I could do I could do both like that is a that's a thing. And my dad is an actor and a director and his whole thing has been, cause he's known that I want to act professionally for a few years now. He's been like, you have, you have to learn how to do everything in this business because you can't like you we're at the point, um, I guess creatively where no one can just be, you can't just be an actor yeah. anymore. So I don't know. I just watched Fleabag for the first time, too. I just watched it for the first time? Just watched. Stop. I think we maybe mention Fleabag every other episode of this podcast. I will. Every time I'm on it. Fleabag. Good. As you should. Um, But watching that and realizing, like, oh, I could write something and be in it. And that it can take so many different forms. Like, that it was a play and now it's a 
show, like, I'm realizing that there's much more freedom in it. Yeah. And I think something great about Fleabag and Phoebe Waller-Bridge in general is at around the same time she wrote Killing Eve, and she's not in that, and she just she, she just wrote, wrote it. Killing Eve? Yeah, she wrote the whole first season of Killing Eve. Holy... Wow. She's okay. a wonder... She's an incredibly talented person. But she, she was asked, like, oh, like, why weren't you in Killing Eve? And she's like, well, I just... I didn't fit in it. Like, I'm not... Yeah. Like, she... It's, like, so... It takes so much... It's a very humble thing to be like, oh, well, I'm not in Killing Eve. And be right. like, but she identifies strongly with Fleabag so she knows enough about herself as an actress to be like that's a role for me that is not a role for me yeah um yeah absolutely but I think it makes sense because they're like two completely different shows one's like a spy drama and the other one is just like uh, like I don't even know like it's just like so personal and so you can tell that Mm -hmm. she like wrote it based off of something really personal to her though I, yeah. it's not true like I don't think it's not at all true events <laughs> um right but I just yeah. think that's really interesting because it's like you don't have to only write things you're in and you don't have to just write things you're never in mm-hmm. yeah. would you ever do a one-woman show I don't know actually speaking of Laura Linney um in January I had the opportunity to go see her in My Name is Lucy Barton um oh is that a one-woman show yeah it's a one-woman show and it's so cool she um it's a story about her uh lucy barton's character is in the hospital and her mom comes to visit and she and her mom aren't super close and so she plays both her mom herself like she plays lucy and she plays her mom um and i had never really been into one-woman shows like i just i don't know it's not something that i had ever really thought about but watching her do it I was captivated the entire time and it's crazy how exhausting that must be because it's not like you're working off of someone else you're you're the only person on stage the whole fucking time so I don't know I don't know I I wouldn't be against it but I also don't know if I what I would write about yeah I feel like one woman shows have to you have to pick something that is supposed to be told by one person here in Invisible yeah. Disco, we do dabble in the one-woman show. Yeah, but I think one-woman shows, like, when they can be done so well, I just haven't ever dabbled in that. I think, I feel like it's now become, I mean, people love to hate on things that women can do. Right. So it's now become a trope of, like, bad theater is a one-woman show, which I right. don't think it is at all. I think some of the best theater I've seen is, like, I mean, the food bag is, like, maybe the best piece of theater that's come out of the 21st century so far and it is a one-woman show exactly so so ha so ha so ha men (laughs) checkmate suck it um (laughs) so yeah i can't wait to read and watch your one-woman show i'm so thank you (laughs) thank you what do you do when you get writer's block we ask everyone this and i'm very intrigued what do i do when i get writer's block so i had a i i had some of just the best playwriting teachers at Sarah Lawrence and one of my teachers uh Cass told us to have a resistance page open whenever we're writing which is just a blank word document where every time like you have the thought of like I hate this I don't know what I'm writing you just write it down in this resistance document you just write down whatever you're feeling about writing because that can help you just get get it out of your head and be like okay I'm feeling this way but I can also go back and focus 
on this. Um, and That's a lot awesome. of times, yeah, it's really helpful. And a lot of times my writer's block also comes up when I'm worried about how other people will see this work. So I was writing something for um, another playwriting class and I was like, I'm worried this is too romantic. And my teacher was like, okay, so she was like, go write the cheese, the, just the worst rom-com-esque scene for this play that you can. Just like lean into, lean so far into it. And that helps. I think there's such a fear of writing cliches. Yeah. And sometimes you just have to write them because uh, the paralysis of not doing it yeah. means that nothing can happen. Whereas if you've written a cliche, you can go, okay, this is the cliche. How am I going to change it now? Yeah. Writing is so much less intimidating and than And it's writing. not that you can't write things that are cliche. You just have to write them better than they were before. <laughs> And yeah. then also there are people that I'm like, you should, you need to stop writing cliche things. This is bad. Yes. <laughs> um, Absolutely. But, yeah. but I, I do think you have to lean into, like, you're like, oh, this is too, like, I definitely get that when I'm writing. I'm like, this is too cheesy. This is too whatever. This is too, like, angsty. I'm like, whatever. I'll just write, like, the angstiest little thing ever. And I'll figure yeah. it out later. <laughs> exactly. Um, I also think setting setting timers for myself really helps. Um, so I'll set a timer for like 10 minutes. I'll normally do like a short ish period of time. Just be like, I'm just going to write until the timer goes off. Um, and that helps too. I'll also try not to look at the screen when I'm writing. Like I'll literally like, cause I can type without. I do that too. Look, I literally so, will be like looking like this, and yeah, then I'll be I'll in public, s- and people think I'm psycho. Like I'll I look be staring like at Alice them. in Twilight, like drawing. Yeah, <laughs> but that's what I because I don't know. It helps because I'm just like looking at something else, and just you know that's type so in, funny. Type in my little. Cliche. I think I do the opposite. I think I stare at the screen a lot, and I realize I do this. <laughs> I didn't realize I'd done it. When I type, I say. Only when I'm writing scripts, I say what I'm typing out loud. Yeah, yeah. When it's dialogue. Because I think I want to hear dialogue. (laughs) So in my brain, I'm like, and then, how are you? Like, (laughs) Yeah, I sound, I probably just look. I look insane. Time out. You just sit, like, here, like, muttering to yourself. (laughs) I do that, too. Also. (laughs) Like, I think that it's just No, Piper, you must be insane looking. Because you're just looking off, typing, (laughs) muttering to yourself. (laughs) And there's, like, a timer going off. Um, yeah, it's wildly absurd. Moral but, of the story, we all look crazy. Yeah, because I just... I don't know. I think also having deadlines... Oh, I love a good deadline. ...helps. But I'm not the kind of person that is like, oh, I have to do this. Like, I have something that I have to do next... Like, that's due next week. I should start now and do a little bit every day. I'm, like, no. 11th no. hour Hail Mary... <laughs> kind of writer that's good so that's when good. when I was at NTI we had we had to turn in like 20 pages of a script um for a writing class and we were in we were in Manhattan because we had just seen slave play which was like traumatizing incredible traumatizing um and so I had to write like another 10 pages of this script so I wrote it on my phone on the bus ride home and because I had so little time and I was exhausted I was able to write yeah better or not better but I was just able to you write. were just letting it flow yeah 
But that's also not, like, don't watch something traumatizing and then do it three hours before it's due. I'm not recommending that. This is, like, this is not advice. <laughs> this is not, this part isn't advice. That might be a cry for help. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, though I do think late night writing gets you somewhere. Yeah. I love a good late night write. I remember, yeah. this is a tangent on my own. Laura and I were in a playwriting class. It was the first playwriting class I'd ever taken. We had to write 10 minute plays. I wrote the entire thing the night before. In Good. one sitting, I didn't, I maybe checked for spelling errors. Maybe. And, and I had people read it, and it was well received. And I was like, Good. that should not have been well received. This Literally, everything I wrote for that class took, I wrote between the hours of 11 and 2. <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> yeah, it's so. Writing is just so weird. And I feel like we all have this idea yeah. of, like, writers and, like, what writers yeah. do. And I have not... I don't. I haven't, I haven't seen it. Mm-mm. I haven't, no, haven't seen me. it. I feel like not I. Stephen King. Like, he's, like, the yeah. one person. His book on writing is quite good. And he's like, it you is? should set aside, like, three to four hours a day. And I was like... Thank you, you think I have three to four hours a day? That's really cute, Stephen. Uh, my day is approximately seven minutes long. <laughs> I don't have any more time in my day. Piper, do you have any advice for any uh, writers that are looking to looking to get into the game? Looking get to get into, get the, into game. the game. Yeah. Thank you for coming to me specifically <laughs> with this question. Writing, writing professional, Piper Dodds Lewis. <laughs> head of the game um i am team captain uh i I was gonna keep going with that bit um advice don't don't continue if you have to think about whether or not you should continue the bit don't um also i think like getting used to people reading stuff that you write like it it's so... My palms turn so sweaty. Oh, when no, I, like, read... I started <laughs> just saying that. And, like, but I don't know. that. I think that's really helpful. Finding people to write with or people that will keep you accountable is really helpful. So whether that's a class that you're in or, um, you know, meeting with friends on the weekend, I think trying to do that is really great. Um, or it's just, like, a writing buddy yeah writing buddy um but also like trying not to take it so seriously because I think that that's one of my issues with drama school in particular is like because it's what you're studying full time it becomes it becomes your entire life which is great and I think it's beautiful in so many ways but then I think a lot of times my ego gets wrapped up in it where I'm like well like this is what this is what I am like this is what I have to do And so I think that almost takes the fun out of it. So, like, trying to remember that it's not the end of the world. Like, what you're writing isn't... Not that it's not important, but it's also, like, not a big deal. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Trying to take your ego out of your writing, which Mm. I... That's really important. I I really, like, I never thought about that. I think that's really great that you said that. Yeah, because I think think it just makes it more fun, because if if you're not worried about or if you're yeah. actively trying not to worry about what people how people are going to receive it and you're just writing it for the sake of writing it yeah it gives you more freedom i think that's a great note to end on i literally was going to say that <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, i said it first um 
Thank you so wow. much for coming, Piper. Thank you so much for coming, Piper. Thank you again to um, Dante for reading yes, that lovely scene you, for Dante. us. Thank um, you, Dante. for having me. Of course, our pleasure. And uh, we'll see, we'll, he- we'll hear all our listeners next week. We don't hear you, you hear us. See you <laughs> next week. <laughs> Bye. 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 Writer's Block Party was created by Invisible Disco Production. It's produced by Amelia Annan, Denise Blatt, Lauren Montez, Thea Thronson, Colleen Annan, Jess Thronson, and Jim Keane. And is edited by Noah Friend. If you enjoyed this, check us out at IDP Presents WBP on Twitter and at Invisible Disco Productions on Instagram and Patreon. Thanks and have a great week.